0: ESPN Sports Radio 1392.5. Now for something completely different. We're gonna
1: bring, bring, bring it all together.
0: ESPN Radio 1392.5. It's the bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Saturday. 859-381-1313. That's the number to call if you'd like to join in on the conversation. You can email the show anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Bottom On today's show, the NBA playoffs continue and the favorites continue to roll on as we've been begging you to take for about a month now some well-known and respected members of the media in the desert are chiming in on Kentucky's football fortunes for the coming season. We will have details here in this first segment. Later on, about 9 930, 35 or so, Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast will join us to talk all things sports, including his red-hot UFC picks for tonight. And, of course, about 9.25, the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks presented by Jake Cigar Bar. All that and much, much more coming up on this week's Saturday edition of Lexington's fastest-growing sports talk radio experience. But first, the Nasty Boys. We refer to these guys on the show from time to time, but we've never really talked about them in depth. In the Reds' 1990 World Series championship season, the Reds had a future Hall of Famer on their team. His name was Barry Larkin. Jose Riho was winning the World Series MVP. The third baseman Chris Sabo, before he started loading his bat with illegal whatevers, he uh, was being compared to a beer-drinking dog named Spuds McKenzie. And the Reds wore Sansa belt pants. So yes, life was good in 1990. But times have changed. The Reds won the World Series because they had one of the most productive bullpens in Major League history. Norm Charlton, Rob Dibble, Randy Myers. They were the most intimidating bullpen, both on and off the mound, quite possibly, in Major League history. And unlike many old wives' tales of baseball heroes from an age gone by, the analytics and the numbers back them up. Of the top eight players on that 1990 Reds team in war, wins above replacement, the Nasty Boys were three of the top eight players on the team in wins above replacement, and you don't see that ever from anyone. You don't see three relief pitchers among the top eight in war. You just don't. But most people remember, of the three, Rob Dibble the most, and rightly so. But he wasn't even truly the closer on that 1990 team. It was Randy Myers. But Rob Dibble was the best relief pitcher the Reds ever had over a three-year span. And yes, that includes people like Aroldis Chapman. In fact, in the history of Major League Baseball, only 30 relief pitchers have recorded a war stat of over 3.3 in a season. And Rob Dibble has three of those 30 seasons. Hall of Famers, Bruce Souter. Goose Gossage, they have two. So it tells you how good Rob Dibble was for a three-year stretch right around that World Series time. But things quickly ended for Dibble, which was kind of easy to see coming with the style of his pitching and just the way guys were used out of the bullpen in that day and age. Rob Dibble pitched 98 innings in the 1990 regular season. And that doesn't even include the playoffs. If a relief pitcher threw 98 innings today, they'd throw the manager in jail for abuse. But as predictably you can see it back then, Rob Dibble was out of Cincinnati by the age of 29, out of Major League Baseball by 31. Just four years after putting up three of the best seasons in succession that a relief pitcher ever put up. The combination of Dibble, Randy Myers, and Norm Charlton. That was a bullpen for the ages, regardless of franchise. In fact, Dibble and Myers were co-MVPs of the National League Championship Series against the Pirates that season. When many of the Pirates admitted that they knew the games were over if they got through five innings and they weren't ahead because they were not going to make a comeback against those three guys coming out of that bullpen. But it quickly ended for the Reds in that bullpen after that season. Injuries, misuse. Both Charlton and Myers in 1991, they were used as starting pitchers the next season. Randy Myers would go on to save, be a fireman of the year. He'd go on to save 50 games in a season, again, after he left Cincinnati. But the year after getting 31 saves on a World Series champion, They put Randy Myers in the starting rotation for 12 games. He wasn't very good. They took him out of what he was good at. And they put Norm Charlton in the starting rotation too. He started 11 games the next year. So you wonder why a team like the Reds, who had so much potential after 1990 because everybody was young. There was nobody on that team in 1990 that was over the age of 30 that played a huge part in it. But misuse, especially out of the guys out of that bullpen. Myers and Charlton started games in 1991. By 1992, they were gone. Why would they want to sit around and get started when they want to be out of the bullpen, and that was their best thing? And they tried to move Rob Dibble to the de facto closer, and it never worked out for him. I still remember a Sunday night game in New York. I still remember it. And he jerked his jersey off and just threw it in the crowd because he was so bad. It was never the same for any of those relief pitchers after they left Cincinnati. Although they had success. Norm Charlton went on to success with Lou Piniella in Seattle. But it never was the same for those guys. It never was the same for that team. And the Reds, it took a few years to get back to the playoffs just because they didn't know how to manage all that young talent they had and they mismanaged it. So needless to say, That 1990 bullpen is a far cry from this year's Reds bullpen. Let's go to this year. The 1990 bullpen, seriously a far cry from what you saw in 1990 than you see today. The Reds currently 30-31, and desperately holding on for a dear life in a division where it looks like there's going to be four teams that go into September with a pulse trying to hopscotch back and forth to try to win this division. But the Reds got some terrible news yesterday as bullpen ace, using the term ace very loosely with the rest of these guys, TJ Antone hits the injured list. Antone on the season has been absolutely terrific. A 1.41 ERA in 32 innings pitched. He has been as good as any pitcher quite possibly in the National League in terms of bullpen overall use, maybe not in the save department. But 32 innings at 1.41 is very good. But with him out for at least 10 days, the rest of this bullpen is now on the spot. And if the first two months of this season are any indication, they're in big trouble. And one other thing that has to annoy the Reds Nation about this move that Anto going to the injured list, there was no corresponding move made at the time. Huh. I wonder what that's all about, other than money. Or are they trying to decide... Whether to bring young Hunter Green, who is throwing over 100 miles an hour regularly in the minors, up to see if he can change anything. To see if it's worth wasting a year of being able to hold on to him down the road. With this decision-making group, anything is possible. Especially putting the short-term over the long-term and trying to save their phony baloney jobs. But how bad has the Red Bull been, been this season? Really bad. And I mean really bad. Let's just look at the ERAs of these pitchers that are currently active and available out of the Reds' bullpen. Alleged closer, Lucas Sims, 5.01. It's exactly what you want from your closer. The guy allegedly supposed to come in at the end and finish things off, a 5.01 ERA. The Reds have two guys that have thrown less than 10 innings this year, Art Warren and Ashton Goudot, so they're not really into it. But here's where it gets ugly. The guys who've been around for a while. Ryan Hendricks, 4.91 ERA. Sean Doolittle, 4.98. Brad Brock, 5.14. Heath Hembry, who looked good at first, but now he's up to 5.50. And, of course, opening day closer Amir Garrett, 9.17. We talked about Garrett a lot this season. And is he completely to blame for all this? No, it's not all him. It's a lot him but it's not all him. But Amir Garrett is an absolute disaster right now. So when this bullpen is called upon, look at the garbage they have to choose from. Nobody with more than seven innings pitched out of that bullpen this season has an ERA basically under five. And there are three bullpens in Major League Baseball with an ERA over five collectively. Detroit, 5.18, and their record is 26-37. and 37. Bad team. Colorado, who plays at Coors Field and has the worst road record in Major League Baseball, as we saw yesterday. And then the Reds, 5.88. Almost a run per game, a half run per game, more than the Rockies. Oh, this must be the worst bullpen in the history of the franchise. No, not even close. Oh, the worst this century, then. We're talking about those old times. No, we're not. In 2016, the Reds had the worst... Pitching staff in Major League Baseball history, if you look at the war statistic, in 2016, are the only pitching staff, the Reds are, that had a war under zero. The next worst is the 1915 Philadelphia Athletics. They had 0.3 on the positive side. You remember those 1915 A's, yeah, I'm sure you do. But that's the logic of the theory of war. You can get sub-replacement members that could have just stacked the entire pitching staff with nothing but fringe players and AAA call-ups, and you would have had an additional game won in 2016. So, in other words, to put it in layman's terms, you just could have gotten guys from out of the stands to pitch, and you probably would have won one more game in 2016. Incredible. But this bullpen, if you're going to try to compete down the stretch, and the Reds are doing so, starting to hit the ball. You can see the offense coming around now. They're hitting numbers going up, especially getting these games at home. If they're going to have to compete in this division, they're going to have to get something for their bullpen or make some moves to help that bullpen because what they have now is not going to get it done. But if the Nasty Boys of 1990 taught us anything, a great bullpen can carry a team to places that nobody expected. And if the 2021 edition of the Reds Doesn't do something about their bullpen soon. The 1998 Reds will continue to age like a fine wine, with fans wondering if they'll ever see another World Series in Cincinnati again in their lifetimes. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Last night at Great America Ballpark, a game you could have heard right here on ESPN Radio, the Reds walked all over the Rockies 11 to 4 in a game where Tyler Malley was a minus 200 favorite. I hope he saved some screenshots of that because I doubt he'll ever be that heavy of a favorite again in his life. He could be playing he could be playing beer league softball. He wouldn't be a minus 200 favorite, I can promise you. But how do you know the Reds don't believe in their bullpen after 5 innings last night? The Reds were up 9 to nothing. Sometimes in this situation, The manager will get the starter out just to save his innings because he's already qualified for the win, so he's good. But with this bullpen, manager David Bell had no choice but to run Malley out there for the sixth inning and let him get tagged for four earned runs to ruin an otherwise great start. So the closing line on Malley, four earned runs and six innings pitched, not even a quality start, but in essence, he took one for the team last night. Shockingly, the Reds' bullpen only gave up one earned run in three innings to preserve that win. Speaking of David Bell, it does does seem that he's settled on a lineup for the time being that consists of Jonathan India leading off, Joey Votto batting fifth, and our good friend Eugenio Suarez batting sixth. That's a better lineup that they had when Suarez was leading off. Sheesh, that was terrible. But Suarez did get a hit last night to raise his average to a robust... Well, robust for him anyway. 163. After Suarez got that hit, bell pinch hit for him immediately, so Suarez could not ruin his one-for-three night. But today at Great America Ballpark, another game you can hear right here on ESPN Radio 1392.5. Game two of this Titanic series will take place as Colorado sends Herman Marquez to the mound, 4-5 with a three-nine-one ERA, while the Reds send Wade Miley to the bump. Five and four, two nine six ERA. These two pitchers faced off against each other on May 14th in Colorado at Coors Field. Marquez allowed four earned runs in six innings, got the win. Miley, coming off his no hitter the previous start, allowed eight earned runs in three innings. And after that game, he went on the injured list. Marquez for the Rockies. He's actually a very good pitcher. In each of the last five seasons, he has an ERA plus of over a hundred. ERA Plus factors in your home field. In other words, Coors Field gets deleted out in all those. And not only that, but Marquez cashes tickets in the desert. The Rockies have a lifetime record 68-51. and 51. When Marquez hits the mound, if you put $1 blindly on him, you would have brought home $13.66 in his lifetime for a return on investment of 11.5%. That's very good. But in today's scenario... He's even more valuable in the desert. An underdog on the road like he is today, when that happens, Colorado is 24-20 and when Marquez is in this spot for a 26.7 return on investment. Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Wade Miley, a tough pitcher to handicap in his time as a red. We've seen, even this year, one start, a no-hitter. The next start, eight runs in three innings. 14 career starts for the Reds Miley has. The Reds are 7-7 in those starts. And he's 3-4 at Great American Ballpark. Not much of a sample size. And even with that small sample size, we can't put a thumb on what to expect from Wade Miley. The Reds are a minus-130 favorite in this one. If this number went down to about 120, I think we'd go Reds. But minus-130 is just too much, especially with that bullpen. You're not getting a lot of value. Usually we will look to see... The bullpens, who pitched the previous night, things like that. Well, with this Reds bullpen, is it really worth looking to see who pitched last night? Is it really worth it? Because that bullpen, they're all, they're all terrible anyway. What does it even matter? Add to that, not much discernible difference between the two starting pitchers. And you have a line that better be minus 20 or below if before I take the Reds. And I don't think you'll see the line drop that low. So this game's probably a pass for us. But good luck if you're on the Reds today. That's the bottom line. ESPN Radio, 1300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Kentucky football, getting some buzz out in the desert this week. I was listening to an interview of Chris Andrews, a longtime odds maker in Las Vegas and current sports book director at the South Point Casino out in Vegas. He said something very interesting about Kentucky football this week. Andrews posted win totals at the South Point for the season in conference games only. Not for the overall win totals, but for conference games. Most books have been putting up season win totals on their entire schedules. South Point says conference game only. So that's when you see Alabama at 7.5. People must think it's crazy until you look at it and say, oh, wait, Alabama's only playing eight conference games, and it doesn't include an SEC championship game. So, yeah, 7.5 is the number you have to put up if you're an odds maker. And for those of you wondering, Kentucky's conference-only win total out in this uh, at the south, south point in Vegas, four and a half. Keep in mind, this is a program that has won five SEC games once in the last 44 years. That should tell you something right there. But, but Chris Andrews, the sports book director that put up all these props, was adamant about one team getting all the buzz about his numbers, and that team was Kentucky. What? You mean Kentucky's getting buzz out in the desert? Kentucky football. Well, I'm going to quote Chris Andrews here and what he said, and I quote, What I found so interesting, I got more response on one team, Kentucky. I had so many people coming in mostly saying that's a bad number. Clearly you don't know what you're talking about, and you're nuts when I put up that line. Kentucky's going to win more than four games. How could I do that? How could I put up such a bad line? And then Andrews participates. I mean Kentucky football? When did you ever see such passion from Kentucky football fans? I mean, if it was Kentucky basketball, I would be I would be thoroughly understanding. But Kentucky football, where did all this passion come from? You should go see my timeline and see all these Kentucky fans and what they've been saying. It's unbelievable. This is a sports book director out in Las Vegas who cannot believe that the big blue nation is so irate that he only has four-and-a-half conference wins for their beloved Kentucky football game. But the key part of all this, he added after this that all the people telling him that it's a bad number, they don't have any money on it. So it's easy to go down there and say these things, but nobody's putting their money where their mouths are. So how can you really say that? It is a worthy thing to be saying. The biggest wager he said that he had on the Kentucky prop was a $100 bet And that was actually under the four-and-a-half SEC wins. So even though the Kentucky people are complaining about the number, they are not putting their hard-earned money on it. I wonder why that is. Maybe because they've seen this movie before and remember how it ends. Eh, Just maybe. But it doesn't end there. I also heard Chris Felica. You may know him from ESPN Game Day. He has a sports gambling podcast as well where they focus on college football he went to bat for Kentucky football this week. Felica likes Kentucky to go over six and a half or seven wins, depending on where you can get it right now. Quoting Felica, one over I do like this year is Kentucky. If you look at their first three games against Louisiana, Monroe, Missouri, and Chattanooga all at home, they should win those. They should all w- also win their last three games at Vandy, New Mexico State, and at Louisville. If they can win all six of those games, you're telling me they can't find another win, another one or two wins somewhere amongst South Carolina, Tennessee, Mississippi State? If that's the case, I'm going to keep playing the over, even with that three-game stretch in the middle where you have Florida, LSU, and Georgia, which might be the toughest three consecutive weeks any team faces this season. Some interesting things I caught there from Felica when he said all this. The first one, he almost dismisses the Missouri game as a win. And I can t- promise you right now, that game will be a toss-up out in the desert. It'll be a coin flip. The odds makers have Missouri as a better chance to win the SEC East than Kentucky. And they also have Missouri projected to win more games than Kentucky. So Felica is either way up on Kentucky or a non-believer in, in Missouri. Felica also chalked up the Louisville game as a win. This desert classic game of the year, using that term very loosely, had Kentucky minus one over Louisville when it opened. Right now that game sits at a minus two, but a game where you're a road favorite of less than a field goal isn't exactly one you can write down as a surefire win in ink. And I do know that Felica is taking Louisville to go under their win total this season, so that might be more of a play against Louisville as much as it is a play on Kentucky. But Felica also dropped a little more knowledge when he said They have a new offensive coordinator at Kentucky who I think will ultimately go with Will Levis, the Penn State transfer quarterback. They have some other offensive talent that that coaching staff believes in. Well, I'll tell you what. Felica may not get his picks right all the time, but he does have good information. He does have connections. And if he says Will Levis will be the quarterback by the end of the season, I would not bet against that. And did we really see anything from Joey Gatewood last year to make you think he was a five-win SEC quarterback? One thing I do know for sure about the Kentucky quarterback controversy, if you can call it that, it's better than it was last year with touchback Terry Wilson. That's not me talking. Those are his lousy QBR numbers and pro football Focus ratings. Take it with a grain of salt. Balika then wrapped up his uh, Mac Daddy Stogie-type uh, picks by saying, six and a half is an all-in play for me to go over on Kentucky. Seven, I'm still going to play it because I don't think they're going to go six and six. You can still push, and here he goes. I still think, more likely than not, Kentucky is an eight and 14 this year. So there you have it. Chris Felica, who makes the point spread picks on the biggest college football stage of them all every Saturday morning, says Kentucky will finish eight and four this year. What more do you need? It's time to run to the window double-fisted with hundreds right now, I'm sure. But let's look at this for a minute. How do the odds makers come up with these win totals for these teams? Basically five factors. Schedule, who you play and where you play them, and when you play them. Recruiting rankings, returning starters. Who's your head coach? Who's your quarterback? So like someone else on that biggest college football stage sometimes says, not so fast, my friend. There's no such thing as a favorable schedule in the SEC. And despite the Kentucky recruiting improvements – and that cannot be debated anytime time that it's been in decades it's better now. And although the last three recruiting classes have averaged 26th best in the nation, they rank 11th in the SEC. But then again, they've recruited better than Missouri, and Missouri is supposed to be better. So what does that really mean? And as we talk on this show all the time, if you bet on Mark Stoops blindly, you've lost a lot. He only hits 46% against the spread in his days at Kentucky. Oh, but that doesn't count the good seasons he's had lately. Oh, does it? Well, that big 10-3 and three season they had a while back, Stoops went 6-7 and seven against the spread that year. Still not living up to expectations in the desert in that season. So is Stoops really a good coach you touched on game day? In recruiting, absolutely. On game day, on Saturdays, eh, you might want to look a little closer. Quarterback situation not settled. May well be into the season with three guys fighting for one spot. But as you've always heard, if you have two or three quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. Outside of that big three-game stretch of LSU, Florida, and Georgia, you're telling me Kentucky's going to go 8-1 and one in those games, including not even blinking in literal toss-up games against Missouri and Louisville and no returning quarterback and a new offensive coordinator and losing a lot of NFL talent from a 4-16 and 16 last year? Chris Felica make it sound like a done deal, even with those three cupcake wins. But eight wins is a big stretch for this team, and that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. The bottom line with Brad Tenner, presented by Stable Duel, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Coming up after the break, the most profitable segment of Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, and our good friend Vince Stover from the Sports Stove Podcast. That's next, right here on ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. And with us now, he is the host of the Sports Stove podcast. He's our friend, Vince Stover. Vince, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me on again, Brad.
0: I appreciate it. Hey, I know you're a big fan of baseball, especially National League Central Baseball. We just talked about the Cincinnati Reds bullpen not exactly being as good as the Nasty Boys of 1990. Reds sitting at 30 and 31 right now. Now they're only decent relievers so far this year. T.J. Antone, now on the injured list. Can this team keep it up with this bullpen as it shambles the absolute worst pen in Major League Baseball right now?
1: Yeah, I don't know why you're so hard on the bullpen, Brad. As a Brewers fan, I absolutely love the Reds' bullpen. Oh
0: uh, Yeah, um, of course you do. Yeah.
1: They, <laughs> they, no, listen. The Reds, they're destined to be fourth in the division. Um, they, you know... They made some great moves last year before the season uh, to give them an opportunity to win. This year, they went backwards. And then, on top of going backwards with the roster, they also, they're, well, they're supposed to be their best players, have kind of gone backwards as well. Um, the Reds, you know, they're sitting around 500 is probably where they're going to be come into the season. They, you know, maybe four or five games under 500 by the end of the season. They keep having these good stretches where they, they, they win a couple of games or you know three out of four or something like that, but then they have these um, regressions back to where they're supposed to be. So at this point, I think the Reds are sitting right where they're going to end the season, fourth in the division, close to five hundred but a little under. Um, I just think that's where they're destined to be by the end of the season.
0: Hey Eugenio Suarez now batting sixth after that just – absolute disaster of a leadoff experiment like they tried with Joey Votto last year. Uh, hitting 163, and here we are in mid-June. Is it time to sit him down? How many days can we still send this guy out there with a 163 batting average, and he's not doing anything?
1: Well, I mean, who's taking his place? You've yeah. got a guy who's had success in the past. Um, he's He's been a player that's been valuable for Cincinnati in the past. You know... I, in my opinion, those are the kind of guys you want to stick with, and just hope they get out of the slump and and get it going again. If it was a you know even a Joey Votto who's at the tail end of his career, or um, a young guy that you need to you know you got to send back down to the minors and try to find figure out what's wrong, that's different. This is a situation where you got a guy that should be kind of in the the, the prime of his career. You're just going to have to work it out. This is where you depend on the coaching staff. Uh, you get a guy that figures out what's wrong and uh, change, make the change in mechanics or whatever it is. All players go through slumps. It's just a matter of how long the slump lasts and what can you do to get them out of it.
0: ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. We're here with Vince Stover of the Sports Stove podcast. Yeah, Suarez is making ten point eight million this year, and his WAR right now is negative zero point eight. So they could have just put a they could have just put a mannequin out there and you know probably had one more <laughs> win right now. But are we? Are you finally on board with me? Uh, Brewers, Central Division champions. Are you? There's plenty of room on this uh, bandwagon. I've been preaching it since March. Are you with me now?
1: Uh, man, I'm cheering, hoping that you're right. I'm not quite there yet.
0: No. Uh, need
1: to Need to see the consistency continue. Um, Listen, the Brewers are talented. The way the the starting pitchers are pitching is incredible, especially the top three in the rotation with Peralta, Burns, and Woodruff. Um, The batting has finally started to come around. Um, They still have only scored 253 runs, and that's uh, close to dead last in the National League. I think it's second or third to last uh, third to last in the uh fourth Anyways, they're close to the bottom in runs scored in the National League so that has to improve um in order for them to to succeed the cubs are actually scoring a lot of runs recently so they're a little bit more dangerous than I thought they were going to be um i'm i'm closer and listen i'm all for it i'm all for you being right on this one brad but uh, you know i got to have to see it see it close out the way that they're playing right now
0: if there's anything I learned from watching the Braves in the 90s up close and personal, you can carry three really good starting pitchers in the regular season. That goes a long way. When you got three Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz type guys, I'm not calling these guys for the Brewers those three, but when you have three dominant starters, you can ride those guys a long way, especially in this division. 92 wins are probably to win this, so I, I wouldn't mind having those three starters. But let's turn to, uh, let's turn to Kentucky football. We were talking earlier this show. Chris Felica of ESPN says this is an eight-win team. Uh, Chris Andrews, who's a sports book director out in the desert, he says he's gotten more buzz on Kentucky football this year than any other school. You're a Kentucky football fan. What do you see this team this year? Do you believe in that seven wins out in the desert and they could go over that?
1: I'm seeing seven wins.
0: I'm not seeing eight wins.
1: It's not to say it's impossible. Um... But, boy, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the schedule. I can I can come up with seven wins, but I boy, I struggle to find more than that right now. And I've had some some kickback on that already um, in a conversation with some Kentucky fans and oh, you're not, you know, you're not looking at the schedule. Yeah, yeah, I am. And I'm not seeing it, Brad. Um, seven wins, I think the successful season for them this year. And they go over that, then that's a great season for them.
0: So many people are dismissing the Missouri game as a, a win, and that's going to be, I can promise you, that's a toss-up game out in the desert. A lot of people, all Louisville's down and Kentucky's on the way up. Then why is that game, why did it start as a one-point game out in the desert? Why is it only up to two now, even with all the buzz on Kentucky? There's a reason why these numbers are as close as they are, because Kentucky isn't, if these games are not sure things. I more believe in the sure things of them losing to LSU and Georgia and Florida than I am them actually going on the road and beating teams like Mississippi State. I as right now I tr- truly see this team six and six, and I know you're going to catch a lot of flack for it. They don't have a quarterback returning. You got a new offensive coordinator, and oh by the way, I just watched the NFL draft. They lost a lot of players to that draft.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we know they've got a good run game. That's no matter who's coaching, you know, that's there. Um, it'll be interesting to see with the new offensive system, what will they do? Will they open it up at all? Because they supposedly have great receivers. We've been told that now for a few years. Oh. We've never had a chance to see it. Um, you know, so you're, you you talked about the Penn State transfer uh, coming in and, and, and being the leader in the house for the quarterback job. You know, what are they going to do with the quarterback? Are they going to let them throw the ball? And if they do, are they going to be any good at it? Um, there's a lot with Kentucky football right now. Offensively, we have no answers to because we have no idea what they're going to be like um, and how they're going to play. We've been told before, oh, we got an offensive coordinator that's going to open up the offense, and then it, it didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, I look at it. They, I think they win three out of the first four games. Um, then they're going to lose all three, Florida, to LSU-Georgia. Then I think out of the last five games of the season, I'm seeing – three wins, four wins, maybe, out of the, the last five games of the season. But that's talking about ending the season hot, and I'm not sure that we've ever seen anything from Kentucky football outside of one season. We've never seen any consistency that Kentucky football can close the year on a hot streak.
0: Right. If you're going to tell me – if you're going to give me that Kentucky loses to LSU, Georgia, and Florida and go 0-3 in those, and I'll give you the three cupcake games as well, you're going to tell me that, against all those other teams – Kentucky's going to go eight and one in those games. Other than LSU, Georgia, and Florida, that's just a big task for you know, for a team like Kentucky, who's never won more than five more than five hundred fifty percent of their SEC games once in forty four years.
1: Yeah, and listen, there's a lot of new quarterbacks in the SEC this year, um, including Mississippi State, mm-hmm. Tennessee, Kentucky. You know, and I think all those three teams Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. We don't really know what they are yet. We're not going to know Tennessee with a new coach who has a history of great offensive performances out of his teams. Um, Kentucky, a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback. Mississippi State, a new quarterback. It's going to be really intriguing to see what these teams are, and we're not going to know what they are. So you're talking about Mississippi State and Tennessee back-to-back, October, November. You know, Until we see a few games, we're not going to be able to know, can Kentucky compete with them? Are they any good um, is kentucky better than them vanderbilt sure we'll give it to you that's a cupcake right uh new mexico state chattanooga uh, louisiana monroe sure it's all there they can have those games the rest of them a little bit's going to be wait and see what these other teams are like as well as what kentucky's like with the new system new quarterback and uh kind of how it all comes together you count on a mark stoops team being able to run the football and being able to play defense. But you've said it. They lost a lot of talented guys and some guys I didn't think were that talented (laughs) to to the NFL this year um, or graduating out. So it's going to be intriguing to see what they are. We're not going to know what Kentucky is probably until that South Carolina game uh, Saturday, September
0: the 25th. Yeah, you talk about... Two teams I don't know what to expect in the SEC, Tennessee and South Carolina. I have no idea what to expect from any of those, either one of those teams right now. But let's get to the NFL real quick. Uh, Speaking of Tennessee, Julio Jones leaves the Falcons, goes to the Titans. He was quoted this week as saying, uh, I've never been a stat guy. Well, I beg to differ with that. Julio Jones to Tennessee, over under nine wins now for the Titans, over under nine for the season.
1: Wow, I' gonna go probably uh, right at nine. It's kind of where I'm at. I I would be, I, you know, I'm not a gambler, but I would be hard pressed to go over. Um, I wouldn't put any money on that that stat. I have I'm on record saying Tennessee will be closer in their record to third place in the division than they will be to first place in the division. Um, I I love Julio Jones. I think he's a great player. But as far as how he's going to be able to impact their win total, I think it might actually go the wrong direction uh, for fear of them getting out of what they do best. And uh, if you're going to trust Ryan Tannehill, and listen, he's got good stats, but if you're going to trust Ryan Tannehill to lead your team instead of Derek Henry to lead your team, you're setting yourself up for failure, in my opinion. Um, so that nine wins is kind of where I'm sitting at with Tennessee right now.
0: We talk about it almost every time you've come on this spring. Uh, The Aaron Rodgers saga. Our good friends at Pro Football Focus have released their uh, projected uh, statistics for individual players for fantasy football this coming season. And Pro Football Focus has Jordan Love to be a better quarterback than Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and to be one of the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks this season. Agree or disagree, Vince Dover?
1: Let me come back with you with a question. Okay. And I'll answer your, your, your question. Shouldn't a second-year quarterback who's had a year to learn the system be better than a first-year quarterback, um, especially a quarterback for the Bears? Um, I would say yes. We should expect that out of, out of Jordan Love, to be better than Justin Fields. I think Trevor Lawrence is generational, and I think he's going to be great from the get-go. Um, I love Justin Fields. I think he's going to be a very good quarterback. But in his first year, Um, I struggle with that with no time, well, not no time, but not much time to learn the system and whatever from there. So Jordan Love should be better than most of the rookie quarterbacks this year, I would say, you know, other than Trevor Lawrence. Top 12 fantasy quarterback, um, I wouldn't be surprised by that, just by the sense that what the Packers do, what Matt LaFleur does, He sets up these short passes where he can get it into the playmakers' hands and let them do something with it. Um, Lots of touchdowns because they're going to be not necessarily great quarterback touchdowns, just great plays. Um, Aaron Jones out of the backfield. Robert Tunyon short passes over the middle. Devontae Adams is the best, if not top, uh, second-best receiver in the NFL. So he's got the talent around him and a great offensive line, too. It makes sense for him to have success to some degree, um, and i think if he's top 12 fantasy wise that'll be success for sure but you do see, i but do, do i you, trust jordan love over rodgers no way
0: but do you see him uh do you, see, you still see rodgers starting opening day 100%
1: i've okay. told you i told you and i told everybody else rodgers will be back he'll be back with an extension in green bay and it'll happen before the next uh uh what is it mini camp training camp that, that happens Uh, Coming up here, that's mandatory that they could find him if he does, that they'd have to find him if he doesn't come. They're getting this, they're getting this, you know, worked out. It'll be last minute, but Rodgers is back with an extension, and I've said that from the get go.
0: NBA playoffs. Are we really looking at a Phoenix Utah Western Conference finals? I hope
1: so. Um, I think it's a great series. Uh, You look at these teams, Phoenix, and it's been DeAndre Eight, he's the whole reason why. They've become legit now because booker, Booker's booker been consistent, which he struggled with earlier in his career. He's been consistent. Chris Paul provides leadership and being able to slow the game down a little bit and kind of calm everything at the, at the end. But DeAndre Ayton, his defense and his offense has been so good in the playoffs. That makes them legit contenders now, especially in the Western Conference. Utah uh, and Phoenix, both with great coaching, uh, Snyder and Monty Williams, and Utah, if they can get healthy, uh, Mike Conley Jr. Has not been able to play in this series, and they're still winning games. Um, but Utah's a very talented roster. And uh, so, you know, I, I would love to see that series, Phoenix and Utah. They were the best two teams in the West all season. It makes sense for them to be the final two teams. The Clippers still could come back and do some damage to Utah. Um, but I'd like to see it personally.
0: I wouldn't sleep on the Clippers done just yet. Everybody's right. everybody's throwing dirt on them after two home losses to start this or two road losses to start this thing. Uh, tonight, I think they get it done tonight. Uh, we might be tipping our hand on our Mac Daddy Stogies. Clippers, they're a favorite with chalky favorites. We love those in the NBA playoffs. Favorites just killing it in the desert in these playoffs. Uh, if the Bucks continue and lose this series at Brooklyn, should they just blow everything up and start over there?
1: Uh, it'll start with the coaching chain, right? That's what it'll, that's what it'll be. It won't be a whole lot of player movement. Um, they'll have to bring in a, a different coach and, uh, try to figure it out there. They seem to be pretty predictable. Um, right now and listen, they're playing the Nets, the Nets for the best team in the NBA, at least offensive wise, they're going to be so hard to match up with. Um, finally in their win, the Bucks win drew holiday did his, his, uh, his job and, and containing Kyrie Irving. And that's what they need him to do to earn his contract right now. Um, you know, But the offensive system for the Bucks is just – it's ugly. Um, they've got to get somebody in there that can control exactly what they need to do offensively. They have the talent uh, to compete, but, you know, it, it's just not – listen, Coach Buddenhauser is a better coach than me, but he's not he – It doesn't seem to be the coach to get the job done in Milwaukee. So that's – if you say blow it up by meaning the coaching staff, yes. We're talking about the players and the roster – No, I think the roster pretty much returns as is.
0: Real quick, your uh, NBA Finals prediction right now. I think
1: Brooklyn over Phoenix is what it's looking like at the moment. Uh, Brooklyn's so talented. And may I just say how awesome it would be to see Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni finally get to the championship (laughs) and they'll be going against Phoenix. That would be a pretty cool storyline, I think.
0: It's Saturday, which usually means it's a big UFC day, and Vince Stover is as good as it gets at picking UFC winners. You've got 60 seconds to give us your UFC picks. Go.
1: There's no bigger UFC day than today, UFC 263 Adesanya versus Vittori. If you're looking for winners, you go to the top of the card. Israel Adesanya over Vittori. Davison Figueroa over Brandon Moreno, and Leon Edwards over Nate Diaz. If you're looking for value, you're looking a little bit further down the card. Brad Riddell over Drew Dauber, and Darren Stewart over the uh, Alabama national champion, Eric Anders. Uh, Those are the two guys I'd give you to for a little bit of value. But if you're just looking for winners, take the favorites of the top three in the card. It's going to be an incredible fight night tonight. And uh, if you're a fight fan, you're going to enjoy this card, no doubt about it.
0: He's done nothing on this show but pick UFC winners, so I cannot recommend going with any of, uh, anyone's picks more for UFC. He's Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast. He hosts uh, UFC podcast along with that. That's part of his uh, selection there on the Sports Stove. Tell us where we can find you on social media.
1: Uh, at Sports Stove on Twitter is the best place to follow me, and we share all the content. About our show on there and other sports news and takes, uh, we are not a hot hot take show, Brad. We just purely but give you what is true and what is right, and uh, we think it's great.
0: <laughs> He's fighting for the American way, ladies and gentlemen. He's Vince Stover, the Sports Stove Podcast. Vince, as always, we thank you, my friend. Thanks for joining us this morning.
1: Thanks, Brad. Enjoyed it. All
0: right, buddy. That's Vince Stover, Sports Stove Podcast. Make sure to follow him on Twitter and make sure to listen to his uh, podcast. It's great stuff. Hey, we'll come right back, and we'll give you our Mac Daddy's stogie picks. Speaking of making money, we'll do that right after the break, right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, presented by Stable Duel. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. We thank you for joining us on this Saturday morning. I've uh, got a little behind this morning. I started rambling way too much. Early on in this show, I get carried away when it comes to football win totals out in the desert. It's just something you can just talk about for hours and hours on end, apparently. Uh, So it's time for our Mac Daddy Stogies. And, of course, it's brought to you by Jake's Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing. Make sure to go to their website, jakescigarbar.com. And uh, when you go out there, make sure to tell our good friends Jake and Autumn that the bottom line sent you. Smoke local, drink local, and cross the line with us at Jake's Cigar Bar. jakescigarbar.com. Get used to hearing this. Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals. They took down Denver last night. Uh, Phoenix is headed now. They're going to win this series. What it looks like, they might be up against Utah, who is up 2-0 on the Clippers, which was our pre-playoffs pick to make the finals. In the East last night. The Sixers went up 2-1 on the Hawks in typical Atlanta fashion by blowing a chance to make uh, to win a series uh, at home, of course, in the way they always do in Atlanta. They blow it. Uh, by the way, who schedules these games in the NBA playoffs? Obviously, the people who schedule the games are also staying in Atlanta this weekend because this series that uh, played on Friday night, they're not going to start up again until Monday night. So, in other words, uh, buy your stock in Magic City immediately. And, uh, of course, people go for the wings, you know. Just ask Lou Williams. Uh, we're going to preach this until people hear us. Favorites in the first and second rounds of this NBA playoffs, 35-19 and against the spread. I don't care what trend you play. If you can't cash tickets playing the favorites in the NBA playoffs this year, uh, you're a lost cause, even for this show. And tonight, in a game you can hear right here on ESPN Radio 1392.5, Game 3, Jazz and Clippers. Jazz up 2-0. Clippers, 4.5-point favorite. If you believe in the favorites in the playoffs, like we do. If you're an old schooler, believes in the old zigzag theory, here's a game for you. If you think Donovan Mitchell is cursed by playing For Rick Pitino at Louisville, this is also a game for you. You'll be on the Clippers just like us tonight. We're going to take the chalky favorite as we've done the whole playoffs and cashed in. Clippers over the Jazz tonight in game three of the series. Lay the four and a half, take the chalky favorites. Major League Baseball tonight, there's some value, a little bit. Pittsburgh, Mets, Cardinals, there's some value. Two that we like, the Tigers. They are big underdogs against the White Sox. Dylan Cease for the White Sox, 3 RA. ERA. Jose Urena for the Tigers, 4-2-5, but he, he's their best starting pitcher. I'm getting value with the Tigers tonight. They only, the, the White Sox used their entire bullpen last night. Tigers only used uh, a couple guys, not their entire bullpen. We'll take the Tigers getting some value tonight. And another game we like, do you like to gamble? I mean, really gamble. The Texas Rangers are 20-40. and 40. They're playing at the L.A. Dodgers. Who are t- 38 and 25, the defending World Series champion? Dodgers, huge minus 300 plus favorite. Trevor Bauer going for the Dodgers, and some, uh, some guy named Colby Allard going for the Rangers. We're taking the Rangers tonight, getting plus 300 plus value out in the desert. Huge underdogs, biggest underdog on the board today by a mile. Getting a lot of value against going against Trevor Bauer today. That's what we're looking at value. Do we think the Rangers could really beat him? No, but you're going to give us 3-1 to against Trevor Bauer and a kid for the Rangers who's got a 1.1 whip on the season? Yeah, we'll take some of that. Throw a little pizza money on the Rangers tonight. So there you go, our Mac Daddy Stogers tonight. Clippers, that's our play of the day. Clippers out in the NBA. And then if you want to just put a little pizza money on some baseball, Tigers over White Sox and big-time gamblers, Rangers over Dodgers. Those are your Mac Daddy Stogies. You can take those bad boys to the desert and Jake Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing, and smoke We want to thank you for joining us here on the bottom line here this morning. Uh, Make sure to email us anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com, or follow us on Twitter, bottomline at bottomlinelex. And as always, until the next time, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, may the winners be yours.